Morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading Mark's gospel together, and this morning uh, we're going to look together uh, at what a lot of folks think is a really uh, important turning point in Mark's story. Um, After this passage, things take a sharp turn in Jesus' life. They take a sharp turn in the disciples' lives. And so this is an important moment, and I think it'll make a lot more sense to us if we hear it in light of what has just happened. Uh, So for those of you who weren't here last week, let me summarize it briefly by saying that Jesus uh, has just asked the disciples uh, a litany of really, really intense questions. These are questions that are intended for them to make them grapple with his identity, who he really is. And so among other things, Jesus asked, do you not perceive, do you not understand, are your hearts hardened, having ears Do you not hear? And having eyes, do you not see? So keep those questions uh, in mind as I read from the middle of Mark 8. I'm going to read Mark 8, verses 22 through 30, and you can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Mark 8. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just sang these words of invitation where we ask your Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday to come and teach us the good news of Jesus. And so we ask that as we talk about this word that we've read and heard together, that your Holy Spirit would do just that, that he would teach us the good news of Jesus. And you know those of us here this morning who sang those words and meant it and felt it and were ready for it. You know, those of us who sang those words this morning and, you know, they were just words that we were singing um, and we're fine the way we are, we think. And you know, those of us who sang those words and don't even have any idea what it would mean for your spirit to teach us. We're all over the place. And so we ask, Father, that you would, by the power of your spirit, meet every one of us in exactly the places where we find ourselves this morning and that you would show us the grace of Jesus, preach it to us again, and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. 
So I want to tell you a story, and I'm going to start with the disclaimer that I got the okay to tell it, so you don't have to think about that while I'm telling you this story. Um, in, in the late summer of uh, 1995, back in the 20th century, um, Allison and I had been seeing each other for about three and a half years. So we were pretty, uh, I think, pretty obviously serious as a couple. In fact, I had started um, making payments on an engagement ring that we had seen together in an antique shop. Uh, and then on a Saturday morning in late August that summer, just a little over a week before I was going to start seminary, Allison called me out to meet her at a park near her place, and she broke up with me. Uh, it came out of nowhere. I was walking around in a daze. I felt like a zombie, and I was really, really sad. So a couple of days later, I met with my pastor, and I told him uh, the story of what had happened. I told him about the conversation that I had had with Allison, and he listened really attentively. And when I finished, this is what he said. He said, listen, Aaron, I have heard this same story a hundred different times. And I think there's more going on than what you guys talked about. And if you love Allison, you will go and fight for her. And I heard that, and I have to tell you, I was in shock. Uh, and I told him there was no way that I was going to do that. In fact, I said, you weren't there. Uh, you didn't hear what went down that morning. You have no idea what really happened, and there's no way that I'm walking back into that pain. So a couple days later, just a few days after that, I was in my apartment, and the doorbell rang, and it was one of Allison's roommates one of her really, really good friends. And to my surprise, without this woman knowing anything about what my pastor had said, she said almost exactly the same thing to me. She said, listen, Aaron, I don't know what's really going on, but you should definitely try to go talk to Allison. Now, you would think after hearing it twice that I would have followed her back to their apartment and I would have done everything in my power to talk to Allison, but I didn't. In fact, what I told her was the same thing I had told my pastor. You weren't there. You have no idea what you're talking about. Thanks for coming by. So about a week later, I met with my pastor one more time. I was a few days into seminary. <laughs> we talked a bunch about how I was doing, and I told him about Allison's friend coming over to see me. I told her what she said to me, and he just cracked up. He just laughed. And he said in all earnestness, listen, she's right, and I'm right. <laughs> and if you love Allison, you'll ask if you can talk to her, and you'll tell her if there's anything else that's going on, even under the surface, you'll do anything to fight for her. And I guess the third time was a charm. I, I did not believe either of them. But I was so miserable, so deeply in love that I gave it a shot. I called Allison. I asked if we could talk. She said yes. I went over to her place. I told her what they told me to say. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, married almost 21 years this month, and happily with no more breakups to our name. I can laugh about it now, but, but those are the longest 10 days of my life. Sometimes when the stakes are high, it takes more than one shot to get through to somebody. And this is exactly what those two stories that we just read and heard together are about. Something has finally clicked and broken through to the disciples. It took a lot more than three shots for them. It took lots of shots for them. 
but they have finally moved off of square one. And after years of being with Jesus, they can finally see him a little bit more clearly. And I don't think that this is just an important story for Jesus or just an important story for the disciples. It's definitely that, but I think it's an important story for me and you too. Because the slow unfolding of who Jesus really is is very often a part of our stories as well. So let's see what we can learn from it. Mark starts by telling us that they had come to Bethsaida and a group of people there brought a blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to put his hands on him, which is their way of saying, please heal him. So like I said a few minutes ago, we absolutely have to hear this part of Mark's story in light of what has just happened between Jesus and the disciples. And I'm sure that that moment um, would have been incredibly unsettling, incredibly disturbing to the disciples. We, We talked about it last week. They had been in a boat together, and from their perspective, Jesus took what was a, just a misunderstanding, a simple misunderstanding, and he completely turned it on them. He asked all of those questions that I read at the beginning, and a bunch of other questions, and he just let them hang in the air unanswered. And Jesus didn't do this to be mean. He wasn't doing this to be coy. He, he was doing it because he was desperate for them to begin working some things out on their own, apart from him having to spell everything out for them. He wanted them to own this notion of who he really was. He wanted them to grapple with his identity. I mean, they, they knew, of course, they knew. They knew on the one hand that he wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth who could do some really amazing things. But on the other hand, they had been pretty obstinate about working out alternative theories to that amazing carpenter theory. So in the boat, Jesus goaded them. He turned it on them. He said, you you have eyes, but you don't see. And then lo and behold, some people bring a blind man to Jesus. Now, we've been reading Mark together long enough to know that this kind of thing happens a lot in Jesus' life. In fact, it happens everywhere that he goes. It's become routine at this point in the gospel for Jesus to be presented with people to heal when he travels to a new place. But something very, very different happens here. Jesus takes this man by the hand and leads him a little way out of the village. And like the the deaf man, his healing that we talked about two weeks ago, this particular healing is described in very physical, very tactile detail. Jesus spits on this guy's eyes. And And then he puts his hands on him. And then comes the really strange part. He asks the man, do you see anything? Now, this might be easy to miss, so I want to make sure we don't miss it. This is the very first time. It is the only, only time that Jesus ever asks someone about the results of his healing. It is strange. It doesn't fit Jesus' usual M.O. Every other time there's a healing, Jesus speaks or he touches somebody, or someone touches him, or he gives a set of instructions, and and the result is almost an afterthought. Of course the person gets healed, but not here. Here, Jesus asks, 
Do you see anything? It's strange. And as strange as the question is, (laughs) it's not as strange as the answer that comes from the man. I see people, but they look like trees walking. That's one of my favorite lines in Mark's Gospel, maybe one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. It is so descriptive and blunt and beautiful. I can see, but I can't see clearly. And this, too, has never happened before. It appears like Jesus' healing touch is not at 100% or something like that, like He needs to get warmed up. He's not fully warmed up. He needs another swing or two to get things going. And it also appears like he kind of knew it, didn't he? I mean, he knew that it might not take the first time around, and that's why he asked, right? If you didn't know any better, you might start to think there was more going on with this healing than meets the eye. Pun absolutely intended. (laughs) Maybe... Just maybe there is a parable wrapped up inside this healing waiting to get out. So Jesus lays his hands on this man's eyes again, and he opens his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Sometimes when the stakes are high, it takes more than one shot to get through to somebody. And church, I think that's what this healing is about. It is a parable. It is a parable enacted within a healing. It's not really for that man. That man gets his eyesight back, but it's for the disciples. And it's for me and you, too. This enacted parable is another way for Jesus to address the blindness of his friends. I mean, they can see him, but they can't really see him clearly. They don't see him for who he really is. He's like a tree walking around. And I think there's a twofold invitation in this for them. It's an invitation first to consider that they might be a little bit more hard-headed than they had been willing to admit before, and second... It's an invitation for them to think back over their lives and to think about what's been going on in their lives. I mean, how many touches have these guys had? And what did they mean? And I think that same invitation works for me and you, too. See, when it comes to Jesus and who he really is, we're all somewhere on a continuum somewhere on a continuum of grappling with who he really is. Some of us here this morning um, are not yet convinced, right? We're in wait-and-see mode. You're checking out the church. You're checking out the claims of Jesus, the people who say they follow Jesus, and you're just waiting and unsure of what to make of everything yet. Others of us here this morning are followers of Jesus. Maybe we've been followers of Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're one of those people who says, I can't remember ever not being a Christian. But there's this sense now, this growing sense in you that maybe following Jesus and being a part of this kingdom that he said we should pray would come on earth as it is in heaven, that that following him, that being a part of that kingdom should mean more to the living of your daily life, your 
everyday red-blooded life than it does right now. You know, you know, he said, take up your cross and follow me, but there are parts of your life where that is not taking root, and it's unclear how it ought to take root. In the choices that you make at work, in the choices that you make in your relationships, in the choices that you make with your money. And there are others of us here this morning who would say we're definitely followers of Jesus. We are further down on that road in faith, we think, as often as we can, as often as we can about what it looks like to follow Jesus in every area of our lives, except there's this one part. (laughs) There's this one room that we're definitely not going to let him in, and we hope no one ever, ever asks us, what's behind that door? It might be the thing that you pray about every week during confession and you think to yourself, man, I'm bringing it up again. (laughs) And you want it weakened in your life. You want it gone in your life, but just not yet. So every one of us in here this morning, we're somewhere on that continuum. We may not be in one of those exact spots, but we're somewhere around one of them. And the thing that's finally going to move us further along into growing up as Christians is going to be a growing sense of who Jesus really is. So this strange little healing is an invitation to us. It's an invitation first, I think, to humility, to to realizing that our own particular version of spiritual blindness, and whatever it is for you, I know what mine are, that our own particular version of spiritual blindness is a stubborn, stubborn thing. And then it might take a bunch of touches, maybe two, three, four, five, who knows how many, to get through. We see trees walking, and it doesn't quite make sense. But this strange little healing is another invitation for us. It holds out this second invitation, and that is to stop for a minute and to think about all of the touches in our life that have already happened. To stop for a moment and to look at the stuff and think about the stuff that's happening in our lives and ask if that may be Jesus gently trying to break through to that stubborn spiritual blindness, or maybe not so gently. Maybe he's like spitting in our eyes. I don't know. I don't know what those touches look like in your life. I I couldn't have any way of knowing unless you told me. They could take a million different forms, I think. You know, maybe someone you love, someone you respect, someone that you know also loves Jesus has recently come up to you and said, hey, I want to know about your life. I want to be in your life. And it seems strange. Or maybe you just have this general sense of feeling unsettled. And you don't know why you're unsettled. Or maybe, on the other hand, all kinds of doors are opening up for you. All kinds of great things are happening in your life, more than just your competency can account for. Or maybe you are going or have gone through some trouble and some suffering. I wish that it didn't take that in my own life. I wish I could be more sensitive to these touches of Jesus, but it is often the touch of suffering and trouble that Jesus uses with me. 
So I don't know, you know, I don't know what Jesus is doing in your life to get at the blindness. My, my guess is that he is doing something. <laughs> this Pentecost Sunday, this is the Sunday where we remember with the whole church that the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, and this is one of the things that he does. He gets at our blindness. I mean, at the very least, we're all sitting here together in this place talking about this and thinking about it. <laughs> so at least there's that. And I'm saying, don't put it out of your mind. Don't push it away. In fact, do the opposite. Mull it over in your mind. Think about it. Think about what's going on in your life. Consider if it might be Jesus trying to get through to that stubborn version of blindness that has been with you your whole life. Ask him to help you make sense out of it. Ask him to help you see. So now it appears that something has clicked for the disciples. These touches have had an effect. Mark says that Jesus went on with the disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now this, this is really strange. And it would be easy to miss because we don't have the geography of first century Israel locked in our minds. But Caesarea Philippi is really, really far away from Bethsaida where they were. It is a long trip. And more than that, it's, it's as far north as you could be in Israel at the time and still be in Israel. It's right out on the edge. And even though there were probably pockets of Jewish people living there, it is a fully Gentile, fully pagan city. <laughs> Caesarea Philippi actually used to be named Panius for the god Pan. There was a shrine to the god Pan in that place, which by the time Jesus had gotten there had kind of taken a back seat because Herod the Great had built a shrine to the emperor there. And then Herod Philip came along and expanded the city and enlarged it and renamed it in honor of both himself and Tiberius Caesar. The point is that Jesus is taking his disciples to a place that is literally strewn with reminders of the powers that be in the world. The shadows of incredibly powerful men are everywhere in that place. One of them, the emperor, had begun at this point in some parts of his empire to be worshipped as a son of God. All of the collected power of that land and of the whole known world was represented there. And so not coincidentally at all, Jesus takes this moment in this place to ask his disciples, who do people say I am? In the shadow of all this power, who do they say I am? What's the word on the street about me? And the report that comes back is actually pretty good. Jesus obviously has that prophet fiery aura around him. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. You might remember um, that's what some of the ruling elites thought about him too. We talked about old Herod. Old Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. <laughs> 
even though other people said, well, that can't be the case. He's probably really like John the Baptist. And there's all kinds of other opinions swirling around about Jesus. We've heard them all in Mark's story up to this point. His fiercest religious opponents thought that he was aligned with the darkness. And the people in Nazareth, his hometown, they thought Jesus was just one of the guys. And his mother and his brothers, they thought he was crazy. But none of those opinions are the ones that matter to Jesus in that moment. He finally presses the question of his identity to the ones who are closest to him. It's one of those destiny-making questions that rings through the ages right up until this moment, right here, right now, in our own ears. He looks them in the eye and he says, but who do you say that I am? So Peter steps forward. He answers for all of them. He says, you are the Christ which is to say you are the Messiah. Now we'll talk about this a lot in Mark's gospel in the coming weeks. It's really what Mark is about from this point on. Um, But for now, let me say that this means that Peter and the rest of the disciples have come to this place where they realize that Jesus is not simply announcing good news. He definitely was doing that. That's how Mark summarized everything Jesus did. He came and he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here Repent and believe this good news. He definitely announced it, but now Peter and all the rest of those guys have come to the place where they realize Jesus is not just announcing good news. He is, in some way, the good news. He has become the good news. He is that good news. So they tell him, we know. We know who you are. You're the final son of David. You are the true king of the world whose rule will overthrow our enemies and spread the rich, restorative, healing power of justice across the whole world. Okay, so forget the fact that at that moment, they can't even begin to fathom how Jesus would do that. They could never dream it in a million years. Forget the fact that in that moment, um, they have severely misunderstood the nature of Jesus' kingly rule, and they've severely misunderstood the depth of his love, and they have no idea the scandal that they are walking into. Forget all that stuff. They've got time. (laughs) Right now, in that moment, for them to know what they knew is a really big deal. And it is just what they needed right there and right then to follow Jesus more faithfully and to follow him more fully. That little incremental and even incomplete change was what they needed right then to follow Jesus faithfully and fully. And church, that's what we need. (laughs) Wherever we are, On that continuum, that's what we need. An incremental, 
but growing change, a growing sense of who Jesus really is. We need that so that we can follow him more faithfully and more fully. And so that question that rang out in that incredibly unlikely place continues to ring out to people like us too right here this morning. It is Jesus asking, who do you say that I am? Do we see him? Let me pray for us. Father, every one of us in here, to the extent that we can, we're opening up our hands and we're saying we have this stubborn problem with blindness and we need you to come and touch us and heal us. We need you to unstop our ears so that we can hear. We need you to open up our eyes so that we can see. Father, make this growing in us as individuals and growing in us in a church, this sense that we need to see more clearly who you are. Meet us in your grace and show us Jesus more clearly. Father, do that for our good, for sure, as individuals, and do that for the good of this church, your family here collected together, and do that for the good of this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.